0: Will you all pray with me? God, who surrounds us always, bless us now with open ears and open hearts and open minds that we may hear and be transformed by your word anew today. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Jonah, First, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, and then chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. We'll start on page 752 in your pew Bible. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amity, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going there, and he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the sailors were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down to the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came to him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, come let us cast lots so that we know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? I'm a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous." He said to them, "Pick me up and throw me into the sea; then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is me, because for I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them." Then they cried out to the Lord, "'Please, O Lord, we pray, "'do not let us perish on account of this man's life. "'Do not make us guilty of innocent blood for you. "'O Lord, have done as it pleased you.' So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. In chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up and go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days' walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they proclaimed a fast and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the the decree of the king and his nobles, no human or animal or no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed nor shall they drink water. Humans and animals shall be covered with sackcloth and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite games to force my friends to play with me around the holiday season is what I call the Hallmark movie game. It's really a way for me to make a fun thing less fun, Um, but the Hallmark movie game goes like this. You start a Hallmark movie, preferably a Christmas one, and you set a timer for three minutes. When that timer goes off, you pause the movie, and everybody watching takes a few minutes to scribble down their prediction for the entire plot of the movie you share your predictions around the room, you press play, and the person with the closest prediction by the end of the movie wins. I like my Christmas movies cheesy and snowy and with conflicts that are minor and quickly resolved. I like them predictable, which makes me great at the Hallmark movie game, because that's all that Hallmark movies are. The story of Jonah, though, is not cut out for a Hallmark movie. My prediction after the first two verses of this one would be losing on this plot. The tension of the conflict never seems to break here, and every person involved does what we least expect them to at nearly every turn. I want us to all settle into the unpredictability and absurdity and the comedy of this text for a moment. We start with God giving prophet Jonah a command, go to Nineveh, they're being pretty awful over there. So Jonah gets up and he goes in the exact opposite direction, finds a ship that can take him far away from this call and hops right on it. But as Jonah sleeps, a storm rages on, causing even the most seasoned of sailors aboard to panic. So much so that these men of the sea demand to know who Jonah's God is, because surely this has something to do with God and Jonah's disobedience. The sailors plead with God to calm the sea, and in a last-ditch effort, throw Jonah overboard at his own recommendation. And the sea calms, and the sailors come to know and fear and worship God. Our prophet may now be in the sea, but his detour did bring God to some unexpected characters. To say that Jonah is reluctant to answer God's call to Nineveh may be an understatement, but I'd argue that his reluctance is entirely reasonable. Nineveh is the embodiment of all things that have been and continue to be oppressive and damaging to Jonah and his people. Nineveh is consumed with power, it's the seat of empire, it echoes with violence, and it's the home of evil. No wonder Jonah set off in the opposite direction. And maybe also, no wonder God's not quite done with him. No wonder God provides as God has been known to do, especially in the wilderness of a rough sea, this time in the shape of a large fish so large it swallows Jonah up, providing refuge for him for three whole days and nights in its belly. When we meet Jonah again in chapter 3, he's been released from the belly of the fish conveniently onto dry land, and and God speaks to him again. A second chance for our still reluctant prophet, this time Jonah does head towards Nineveh, and when he arrives at the great city, he essentially yells from the outskort, outskirts, th- 40 days and you shall be overthrown. It's the prophetic equivalent of the thing that I perfected as a teenager and still do to this day when I'm with my family. It usually starts with one of my parents asking me to communicate something to my brother who's off in another room Aaron, go tell your brother that dinner's ready. To which I respond by turning around and yelling, Ethan, dinner is ready. Jonah does the bare minimum. There's no certain sermon on repentance, no plea for justice, no call out to their evil, no mention of God. He simply makes a matter-of-fact degree. Y'all are about to perish. And I'm using my attitude to tell you that I couldn't care less. Then, in an unpredictable plot twist that no one, least of all Jonah, saw coming, all of Nineveh repents. The king, the people, the cows, all turn to God and fast in repentance for the evil they have been perpetuating. The violence stops, their power is humbled, and God's mind is changed. God stops planning to destroy Nineveh. This whole story... It's absurd, and it's comical. It's rich in what it has to say to us about ourselves and about God. Jonah may not unveil a whole lot about God's character to us through prophetic wisdom, but a whole lot is revealed by God's persistent faithfulness throughout Jonah's reasonably reluctant journey. My favorite way to engage in Bible study centers three simple questions. What did you hear? What does this say about God? And what does this mean for how God calls us to be in the world? I'm always amazed by the wisdom that folks glean from a text when approaching it this way. And while what we may initially hear in Jonah is absurd, what it says about God is less so. Jonah is a story of God's graciousness despite a reluctant and honestly vindictive prophet. It's a story of God's mercy despite ourselves. It's a narrative of God persisting, even if unpredictably, to bring hope and mercy and justice beyond the scope of where we thought it possible to be. Jonah may be an unlikely prophet to explore leaps of faith with, considering his story— at least at first glance. He makes less of a leap of faith and more of a run in the opposite direction. Given all that it reveals to us about God's character, though, I think this story is just right. It's par for the course for our unlikely text today, but I'd argue that the best example of a leap of faith here is an unexpected one. The king of Nineveh, who after Jonah's half-hearted prophecy repents, putting on sackcloth, fasting, and calling for all of Nineveh to do the same, saying, who knows, in Hebrew, miyota, God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. Philosopher and theologian Jacques Alul insisted that the repentance of the city here signifies an answer to social sin because it combines the conversion of an entire population and its government too. I imagine we can all name a laundry list of social sins in need of conversion. War, food scarcity, gun violence, racism, anti-Semitism, housing crises. Our lists go on and on and on and on. For Nineveh, all that was previously at stake, all the power, all the wealth, is thrown out the window in a leap of faith. Who knows? Maybe God's mind will change. Maybe God can work in us and through us. This wondering, Miota, who knows, is found throughout the Old Testament, always in moments of desperate faith. Always in hope that God is working beyond the scope of what we understand. David cries out in grief, Mioda, Mordecai utters it of Esther's power, Mioda. Even God wonders it in the book of Joel. Mioda, who knows? Who knows the expansiveness of God? Even God's self may still be considering new possibilities of divine design. Who knows how far divine grace is flung? Who knows how wide God's mercy extends? Who knows what God is doing in the background? Who knows what God is doing with us? Who knows? Maybe God's mind will change. Maybe even I, the king of power and empire and evil, will be caught up by the expanse of God's love if I just step up in faith. I do know this. God sticks with God's children, even the most stubborn of us. And God is always in the background, moving and scheming and bringing about hope in unexpected ways. Even through our reluctance and in our bare minimum, God can craft good news. Even in the wilderness of a storm, God can be found in new ways, even when we fall short. God is a God of second chances. Even for the Ninevites, for the empire who have been greedy and oppressive, whose identity is synonymous with evil, there is an opportunity to take a leap of faith, to put their hope in God and repent towards reconciliation, to step up and to bring change. God is moving and weaving and crafting and alive in the backgrounds of our lives, whispering and nudging us toward a leap of faith, whatever is challenging and love-filled and faithful and just. And we should absolutely take the leap, because who knows? Who knows how expansive God's love is and how far God's grace extends? Who knows how wide we can stretch our arms who knows the peace that may come from holding the tension and unpredictability of our own lives tenderly with hope, who knows the unimaginable possibilities that may arise for justice in this world when our focus is reoriented on God's work in the background and the faithful work we can do to bring God's kingdom here and now. Friends, may it be so in my life and in yours and in our faithful lives together always. Amen.